Hello, my friends. I am very excited. Some special news today. We just finished recording our first masterclass, which covers the five biggest actions you can implement today to kickstart your leadership transformation and is jam-packed with insights that you can leverage to propel yourself and your team forward. Visit leaderbits.io. You can click on it. It's on the homepage and it's absolutely complimentary. Today, we are talking to Nitai, the co-founder and CTO of Action IQ, and we discuss activating the next generation of data, the binary nature of most decisions, and how making small incremental improvements over time is the key to long-term success. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. are you located like where are you calling in from today i'm uh, in our office in new york oh you're, in, you're on the east coast mm-hmm. nice we're down in florida oh, okay actually going down there t- tomorrow i think actually what? what do you for what a customer meeting for, yeah sales sales meeting nice so you get involved in sales cto talk right i do yeah kind of have to <laughs> you know it's funny when i was first engineering I thought like managers and like the higher up, like mm. they don't, they don't do the important work. Right. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> and then I, and then I realized like, that's what drives the business forward. And it's incredibly important. And without them doing that, being responsible for our actions, you have like 30 or 40 engineers, right? At your company. Yeah. We're about, yeah. 30, 35, I think now. Okay. About that. So you're ultimately responsible like for them. Absolutely. No. And, I, and you're absolutely right that like, you know, it's funny, each, each new role I've taken on, and, and I say new role because I think, as you've seen, the CTO role definitely tends to change a lot. Like, I would say, like, every six to 12 months, it's a completely different role. Um, and each time I'm in a new role, you, you have a newfound appreciation for other people who do that role. So kind of like you're saying, like, the, the managers and everything, same thing. So where are you at right now? How are you spending your day? Yeah, it's interesting. So... You know, um, I would say the biggest change happened about a year ago, which was a, a fantastic, great change, which is we hired a, a VP of engineering, really, really amazing guy. Um, in general, our whole executive team, I would say, is, is really fantastic. Um, and so he came in to really kind of own and run and manage uh, engineering and take that kind of to the next level, you know, um, um, in terms of like the growth of of, of all the engineers, how they how they level up, organizational efficiency, all these kinds of things that, you know, I, I had been doing, but let's be honest between you and I, it's not really like the, the number one thing that I'm best at. And it's probably not also the best uh, use of my time, I would say, um, in terms of all the ways that I could be adding value. I was doing it kind of because it had to be done. Um, and so now I would say I've, I've shifted to more of a... Um, kind of architect and, and product focus. You know, in my experience, <clears throat> there's roughly speaking kind of three or four types of CTOs. And I'm, heard, I'm sure you've, you've heard a lot of this on your show. Um, you know, like Werner Vogels from, from Amazon writes yeah. about it. And a lot, of, a lot of other people kind of write about this, right? There's kind of the like sales evangelist types. There's the product types and there's the like architect slash engineer types. Um, and I've kind of been moving back and forth, I would say, between them. You have to. You have to, exactly. Absolutely. Elon Musk, I, I like what he says. He says, you know, founding a company is 
like staring into the abyss and eating glass because <laughs> you're always working on the most difficult problem in the business. And it's never what you want to be doing, but it's where you have to apply your abilities. And you know, that's funny you say that. I, I've actually literally used something related to that, related to Elon Musk quote a few times, which is I've told people we're getting really, really good at chewing glass. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we're getting good at glass. Yeah. Right now I'm at the, um, I'm at the phase. We have a we have a company that came out of the podcast, mm. and so we've grown in the past year. We've grown to 11 people, so it's not mm. bad. It's pretty cool. That's and great. yeah, and, and my job is like obviously been changing quite a bit as the founder of the company, and and you're a founder too, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So right now I'm at that stage where like we have a great product, people are buying, we know our sales conversion rates. And so the thing that I'm walking around literally with a note in my pocket, right? Just because I, I hold the most important thing with me all the time is uh, increasing our lead generation. Mm-hmm. Because now that we have something that's good, it's a repeatable process. We know how to onboard customers. We know how to make them happy. We know how to show value. We know how to do everything. We have a sales team. We have two sales teams in place. And so now it's like, okay, everything's good. Everything's operating, but we're all sitting around like, let's get, <laughs> get the <laughs> time to do more of it. <laughs> yeah. Cause we had it going, we got it going really um, strong with the meetings and the leads, but I was the salesperson, right? And so mm-hmm. like, that's not scalable. Yeah. Founder selling can only go so far. Right. And then, well, then also like it changes, like for you, the, the customer you spend mm-hmm. your time with changes, right? So now, you, now that deal that you're going down to Florida to talk with is a very different deal than probably your first deal or two. Hmm. Absolutely. You're right. This, it sounds like yours is uh, like bootstrapped, you guys, or are I bootstrapped the first couple months of it until we got hmm. 100,000 in revenue. And then after that, I went and uh, got some venture capital. That's great. Yeah. Because I was like, I can't do this myself. <laughs> no, it's good to have. It's good to have the funding for sure. I think that's one of the, I think that's one of the common like you know first time founder uh, mistakes is like trying to hold on to every little percentage and trying to kind of like you know hoard everything and be like no this is my baby and like being kind of stingy with every little uh, offer you make to an employee or a can or whoever or, or an advisor or whoever it is I think one of the things we've kind of learned well is actually it's much much better to share like yeah. bringing as, as many people as you can yeah you because you need a lot of great people to change the world. Exactly. Exactly. So do you have a co-founder? I do. Yeah. Great guy. What's, it, what's his name? His name is Tasso Argyros. And he's also a uh, very technical background, you know, ex-PhD Stanford. Um, very, very sharp guy. At the same time, great, great business sense. Um, second time founder as well. Nice. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, how, what's your early days of technology? Like, what's your earliest memory of technology? Uh, for me personally, yeah. um, probably the first one would be programming the, you remember the TI calculators? Yeah. Oh yeah. The graphing calculators. Yeah. Yeah. So probably the earliest thing I can remember is programming those to do various things in math class much, much easier. Like I remember specifically um, uh, Euler's method, you know, this, this, I have, I have random things that I Is that the 80085 method? <laughs> That's... <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. It was yeah, it was like the calculus thing where you had to like take a derivative but then use it to like approximate the next uh iteration of the function and so forth. 
And there was this thing that you had to do like very manually and they made you like write out like tables of this, but they let you use a calculator. So I said, why not just have the calculator do it for me? So you just input like all the numbers and boom, you get all the iterations and I'd be, just be sitting there copying the numbers for the calculator and be done like 10 minutes before everyone else. Wow. Uh, so that was fun. How silly is it thinking back to those days when they wouldn't let you use the calculator on certain tests? Mm -hmm. They just made us be the computer, and it's like, there's no point of this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's mind-boggling. Even some of the things I look at today, like we were talking about about kids. I was thinking the other day, I was literally wondering, do they still teach cursive no. in school? Like, is that, is that actually a thing? Mm -mm. That's good. It's not. Because I was thinking back, like, man, that it was such a waste of time. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, other, than, other than signing my name, what use does that have? <laughs> right? <laughs> so you you program these functions, you use the graphing calculator, and so you start learning about some basic programming. And then mm -hmm. you end up as a software engineer at Google. You must have been like mm -hmm. pretty stoked because like, that's, I don't know, I feel like caveman when I first wrote code. And, <laughs> and so to get a job at Google would be like 10 times that. Yeah, I mean, that was, that was for sure a door opening moment. And I actually got that. I was very fortunate to have a, a great mentor early on. Uh, so in high school, I was on the robotics team. I was part of the US First. I don't know if you've heard of that. Yeah, I do, actually. Uh, yeah, it's a great, great program. Fantastic. Um, really fun, but also really engaging and, and uh, stimulating and everything. And so through that, I kind of got friendly with uh, one of the mentors, which was a guy from kind of the industry that would come in and help us with building a robot and everything. And uh, we became very, very friendly and he became kind of a personal mentor of mine. And he was the one who actually really helped me get my first job at, at Google. He kind of put in a good word for me. And that really was a door opening moment for me. Absolutely. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was an amazing uh, experience. And from there, I kind of just went on to more and more and, and uh, greater things. Now, did you grow up in New York or? No, I actually grew up in the Bay Area. Well, originally, originally from Israel, but, okay. but um, most of my growing up was in the Bay Area. When did you get to the States? This was in 93. So you were like? I was like around, yeah, like eight, nine years old. Okay, something. so you're pretty young. Yeah. Very cool. So then you moved to SF, you grew up there, and then you make your way to New York? Palo Alto, but yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. I've got SF on my mind because I'm going there in like two weeks. <laughs> oh, nice. We were just doing all the tickets and all the booking and everything like that, getting to um, speak at Williams-Sonoma. You know, like oh, great. Company. They own Pottery Barn and a couple other things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I know them. Oh, okay. They're, Yazir is their CTO. And, okay. Um, he's a really cool guy. Came out of like Walmart Labs and then Macy's, the CTO, and then came on the show. And I'm giving this talk like all around the world this year about what I've learned from the podcast. And so mm. I reached out to him and a couple of the people and they're like, yeah, come on out. I'm like, That's cool. great. That yeah. sounds like an awesome, awesome opportunity. Right? So you do the robotics, you get in, he puts in a good word for you. You're at Google, are you mm. maps division, payments division, where are you at? Uh, much, much, much lower than that. So I started in the hardware. We were doing the like, you remember back in the day when Google was doing the whole container data center thing? Yeah. This was like when they were just starting that. So I was on the server side doing, um, optimizing the like server um, battery usage and the, like uh, universal power supply, all this kind of stuff. And then, so I, I like to tell people I started very, very low and I've only moved up the stack since. So yes. my second, actually we did a second internship at Google. Then I was on the compilers team. Mm -hmm. And then I moved on to a search engine at a startup I was at. 
Um, and so from then I've only kind of moved higher and higher up the stack. And then to Microsoft. So Microsoft acquired the, the startup. Oh, okay. So I had the, start, the startup called PowerSet, which, which was building a natural language search engine. Essentially, we were trying to take on Google. Yeah. And, and do, a, uh, do a kind of more semantic-based um, search engine that would really understand like, you know, nouns and verbs and adjectives and then sen sentence structure. Um, it was a very, very cool company. It was, it was a great, you know, I think if there's one, if there's one theme I've had is that I feel I've been very fortunate to work with some really phenomenal people through my life. And, and PowerSet was certainly one of those places. Um, you know, some great companies came out of there too that many people are, are familiar with as well, like GitHub, for example, yeah. was uh, one, of the, one of the guys that we had. Um, Microsoft acquired them too now. <laughs> That's right. That's yeah. right. <laughs> um, yeah. So then, so Microsoft bought us, and we became part of Bing, Bing Search. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then you made your way to Facebook. Mm -hmm. Were you doing search yeah. at Facebook too? No. So at Facebook, I moved more to the data side. I started an ads. I did ads infrastructure. I've always been kind of a systems guy. Um, you know, I think that I've been doing. I love kind of optimizing deep, low-level things at the same time thinking about distributed systems problems and things like that. Um, so at Facebook, I started on the ad side and then I moved to data infrastructure. Um, you know, one of the other things that, that I've had a, a pleasure to do a couple of times was, is work on some great open source projects. So when Microsoft, um, back, back to the startup I was talking about, so PowerSet created technology called HBase that many mm -hmm. folks have probably heard of. Um, and uh, open sourced it obviously, and, and it became kind of a great uh, big data uh, database. And, and we particularly used it to store crawl data, but lots of other people use it for many, many purposes. And at Facebook, I worked on another open source system called Giraffe, which was to do uh, large scale graph computation. Um, that was also something that we open sourced. So I've been kind of in and out of both like the like deep corporate world, but also like open source world. Um, it's been interesting to see both sides. Well, one thing they all have in common though is customer data, right? And so mm -hmm. that's where you've ended up here at Action IQ. So tell me a little bit about what you what your company does today. That's exactly right. Yeah. So you know, the theme of one thing that I saw through all these uh, experiences was I would say a couple of things. One is <clears throat> kind of I've been in the the big data Hadoop, what do you whatever you want to call it, world long enough to kind of have a good hypothesis of where it's going. And, you know, in particular, the using a lot of like newer in the memory technology and um, newer advances in terms of like how you organize and manage data and distribute it and so forth. So that's kind of like theme number one is where, where the data world is going. Theme number two is although the technology is getting uh, more and more impressive and more amazing, the actual reachability of that and the, the access, I guess, rather better word, the access to it it's probably only diminishing meaning you have like the very very top companies you know the, the facebook's the netflix the amazon the google so forth that are at this cutting edge of technology and then are able to actually utilize this technology to to actually drive their business to do much much richer personalization to really understand their customers and and give them a, a um you know a whole new level of, of experience and a whole new level of engagement that consumers are kind of becoming accustomed to, right? Like every, when you go to, I don't know if, if you go to like uh, just some random mom and pop website to buy something, you almost expect the Amazon-like experience. Or if you go to some uh, some random channel to, to view their YouTube, you're almost like, wait, why isn't this like Netflix? Why isn't this, you know, understand me and recommending things for me? 
Um, so that's kind of theme number two that, that I've noticed is kind of the lack of, of access at what I call the other 99% of the world, right? The non like 1% sliver of high tech companies. And theme number two kind of going along with that is the access, but then also how much it actually like makes it over to the business side and drives the bottom line. And so, so we, we started Action IQ to, to really um, help uh, kind of dramatically improve on those, uh, on, that, on that problem. And what, we, what we're really doing with Action IQ is building this kind of next generation data platform, but for the business. Um, specifically where we've started is in the marketing uh, landscape. And there there's, there's just an, an enormous, enormous need you know, and I think you, you can, if you go back, you can almost predict this because you can see the kind of uh, the evolution of data in, in these big uh, environments. Meaning, you know, if you go back a few decades, you had the world of like the Oracle and IBM and, and Teradata and so forth, where, where businesses were just starting to kind of put in some central data warehousing. Then after that came the wave of actually you should be capturing everything and there's actually you know a thousand next more data out there than you're necessarily capturing so this came the world of like capturing chapter cap, sorry capturing every web click or every mobile tap or, or what have you and suddenly the businesses are becoming inundated with the amount of data that they actually can have about their own customers it didn't used to be that way it used to be everybody did everything based on well i know you're joel and i know you're a male and i know you're you know between the age of whatever, 25 or 35, whatever it is, and then that's kind of all I know about you. Now, all of a sudden, there's this wealth of information, and now we're in this kind of next generation of that, which is how do you actually activate that data? And by activate, I mean how do you unleash it on all the rest of your business, not just the kind of deep IT analytics, but how do you enable your marketing folks, your analytics folks, your data scientists, everybody to really uh, access and, and, and utilize that to do very, very deep level of personalization and understanding about your customers. Um, so that's kind of the high level of what we do. Um, where, it, where the rubber really kind of meets the road is, um, you know, we tend to work with both, I would say kind of the medium to large companies. Um, you know, some of our, our customers include Companies like like um, like a Verizon or New York Times, but also some of the more um, mid-sized retailers as well, um, and and there, um, you know, it's interesting because they're all kind of having the same problem of, you know, they're somewhere along the spectrum of going through the uh, what you might call the digital transformation, right? And in, in where they, wherever they are along that spectrum, um, they're all wanting to do, do personalization, get to a lot more in depth and essentially be able to act like a Netflix or Amazon uh, with their own data. And, and the reality is, you know, it's interesting because there's, there's a lot of this every, every day. There's probably 10 new articles about like how can retail compete with Amazon, for example, or how, how do you stay relevant in this kind of new consumer age? And I think the reality is actually that there is companies out there that are able to do it and and the ones that are able to do it are actually even able to not just compete but really uh, uh, be very very uh, competitive I guess because they they're they're realizing that actually they have years and years decades even of, of first party data about their customers you know like offline transactions um, 
um, what they've done in the store, how they how they've interacted with the customer rep or the the call center, things like that that are set, that are that are actually there. It's like these data silos that are on, that are uh, waiting to be unlocked and utilized. So long long winded answer. But. No, I love it. It gives a like I understand because well I'll back up. So you guys offer like some sort of consulting approach with this, right? Like you come into the company, you have to like look at their data. Sometimes they know what they want to do. Sometimes you have to take a look and give them some ideas because you help mm. activate the data, correct? Yeah, a bit. Yeah. So I, I would say, so I think it's important to, to understand we're very much a product oriented company. And, and it's important to make that distinction because many, many of the companies in our space are much more consulting and services based, right? Like they literally, and in fact, that's a lot of the approach that current uh, large enterprises take is like, let me bring in a, a big consulting firm and they'll just tell me what to do. And the problem with that approach is it really doesn't scale. And by scale, I mean, it's not really repeatable, right? Like they solve the current problem that you have, but they don't necessarily set you up to solve a thousand more of those problems because they're just throwing people at the problem, right? As opposed to throwing better, better technology or better solutions. And, and sometimes they do bring those in, um, but but you really need the holistic. Uh, you need both of those of those worlds. Now, to be to be clear, um, you know it's impossible. I think to have a a pure product company that does nothing but product, especially in a space like ours. Like the reality of selling to large enterprises is you have to do the services too, mm-hmm. right? Like it's uh, one thing I always say is there's you know there's that famous saying I think it was Benjamin Franklin or whoever that said there's only two certainties in life: death and taxes. Yeah. I think there's actually three certainties. There's death, taxes, and data is messy. <laughs> and so you, you, need, you, you, of course, need to solve that problem. And a lot of actually what we've built in terms of like, you know, if you kind of peel away the layers of the onion and you get to the core of the Action IQ database and kind of the, the technology underneath it all, a lot of it is, is uh, improving that and understanding that uh, that data is messy from the get-go and building a lot of technology to make it very, very easy to do those things. And so, yes, absolutely, we have services and it's a very, it's a definitely a core part of what we do because it's, it's, a, it's a necessity, um, but it's, it's a product focus. And at the end of the day, the, the main difference is bringing in and establishing a, um, a better product, a better technology, a better process for, for the company that they then can go and own and, and you know, um, improve their, the way they do business and the way they personalize to their customers and the depth of data that they're able to utilize. Um, you know, one of the examples I always give to go back to like a Netflix or something is, you know, the reason they're able to, to make such good recommendations is again, not because they, they know that you watch two movies in the last month, right? It's because they know that you watch this particular movie that is like a thriller at 8 p.m. on a Thursday. And then they know that the next week you watch another thriller at 8 p.m. So now they're seeing some pattern of like, okay, Thursday nights are your nights where you like to really engage with something thrilling and you're able to like watch the full two hours. Whereas on a Sunday, you only watch 30 minutes. Maybe you come back to it, right? Like that level of like deep nuance is is the thing that really like lets you personalize is the thing that really lets you actually use your data to make better um better decisions to make your product better and to to engage with your customer better and to have a better experience which is ultimately what it's all about and that requires a a fundamentally new way of of thinking about the problem and fundamentally new technology as well the other thing to realize you know we were talking about kind of the data evolution in parallel with that I think the interesting thing to realize is 
know, I'm sure you've seen one of those like iconographs of like the PDF with like, here's the 6,000 companies in, in this landscape, right? It's like, go, go ahead, good luck picking one, right? <laughs> um, you know, uh, it's interesting because the vast, vast majority, I mean, literally like 99.9% .9 of those were very much built in the old school way of, thing, of doing things, which is before, like we were saying, before every company was collecting every single click and every single mobile tap about their customer. And so the data technology that they were built with just can't handle that scale. And so it's just not able to actually get to that level of depth and that level of nuance. Whereas our hours absolutely can, again, because it comes from years of my own learnings from doing like Facebook scale um, computing and my co-founders as well. And so that's kind of the, the difference, I would say, the, the big uh, difference in what we do. So a minute ago, you were speaking about becoming better, right? Mm. And we have a large part of our audience is that mentality. The people that are always looking for an edge, always looking to become better. So let's imagine that some people are listening that say they're maybe where you were at Google or a software engineer, and they're going to move into a team lead position, right? Mm -hmm. Start leading their first team. What advice from your past, like what comes up, like what would you tell that person? Mm, that's a good question. You know, I think there's, I don't know if you call this as much advice or learning, but I'll, I'll say I have a couple of things that come to mind that, that I guess would, would have been things that I would have loved to have known as early or much earlier on that I, that I know very deeply today. So for example, one is, you know, I think early on, early on in my career and early on, I think in many people's career, you kind of go about the decisions that you make or the meetings that you're in thinking that everything is important and some things are just more important. But everything has like a base level of like, no, 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 I got to be like, I'm the lead. I got to be in this meeting. I got to be in that meeting. Like, wait, you got to be careful with that decision, this decision. And it can easily get into like micromanagement and all that. And the reality is, and it's interesting because I think most things with how you run a business or how you uh, lead an engineering team have a spectrum to it. But when it comes to decisions, I actually find more and more, it's much more binary. And by binary, I mean, there's actually the vast majority of decisions really don't matter that much. Meaning like, like it's not that they're not important at all, but in the long term of things, if you, if you start to think like six months out, a year out, two years out, they're not actually that crucial. And you can more often than not delegate those decisions or, or let, you know, one of your like senior uh, tech leads or whoever it is, or, or senior engineers on your team kind of own that and just be more on the periphery of it. But on the flip side, there's a few decisions that really matter, <laughs> right? And they matter, and they matter a lot more than you thought they did. So there's that. It's actually kind of more bifurcated, I think. And I think over time, you kind of learn to recognize which decisions, you know, you need to step in and say, okay, hold on, pause. Like, this is this is an important decision. You know, I'm not saying you're doing it right or wrong or whatever, but we just need to take a little bit more time with this because I know that this decision is going to affect us for the next like two to five years. Like this is a decision we're making right now that we're not going to back out in, in a month or two. Whereas a different decision, you realize actually like, whatever, no big deal. If we do it this way versus we hack it that way, three months from now, won't really matter. Uh, so I think that's one, one good uh, learning I've had. <clears throat> um, the other one, and this is actually, this is actually an interesting talk that I have with, with pretty much every um, new person uh, we hire is, is I have this talk of like, 
um, when you, especially the kind of the more senior engineers, when you uh, go about a project, how long are you building it for? And what I mean by that is, you know, uh, in my experience, essentially when, when you build a new project, you, you build some new piece of technology, you bring in some new library, some new open source thing, whatever it is, you can really do it for kind of one of three time scales. And obviously I'm, I'm kind of grossly uh, exaggerating, or not exaggerating, like approximating here. But roughly speaking, you can build a new project for that will last six months, that will last around two years, or that will last like five plus years. And I think it changes a lot which of those, A, I think it's important to kind of be mindful and actually go into it thinking, we're gonna do this thing to last X because that shapes all of the decisions around. And suddenly these decisions that like, if you didn't have that mindset going in, you would think, no, 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 that's way too hacky, or no, 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 that won't scale. Or on the flip side, like, no, that needs to scale more. Like, no, that, that's actually a really important piece because we're building this to last X amount of time. And so I think that kind of like going into it, setting the right expectations, both for yourself, but for others and aligning on like, this is the expectation of what we're building this for. Um, you know, a lot of times having like a, if, if it's a project that has a, for example, a product manager involved, that can help a lot because they should be helping a lot with like the requirements. But from the engineering aspect, what I found is interesting is especially for, I think, again, it depends a lot um, what scale of, of the company you're at. Like, so for example, for a startup, it's almost never correct to do something to last five years. It really isn't because nothing actually lasts five years. <laughs> And if, and, if you're, and if you're gonna, like at that scale of company, right? When you're small, when you're five, 10 people or whatever it is, there's no way that five years from now, this thing will be just as valuable as what you initially intended it to do five years ago. The, the, the rules of the game, the, the requirements, the usage of it is gonna change so much that I guarantee you within two years, you'll probably end up rewriting it. On the flip side, often, you know, so that, that may mean that, um, so that really brings you more to like, do I build something for two years or do I build something for six months? And usually if it's a big project, in my experience, usually two years is roughly the right uh, uh, time. If it's a quick project that you're just trying to get out of the way and get it done quickly, then, then you go for the six months. But the, the two-year time frame, the six months, if, if, if it's a big project, can end up being a mistake because the reality is you spend three months designing it. You spend three months really like researching and doing all the kind of necessary upfront work. And then you only got something that actually lasted you three to six months in terms of like actual usage before you're like, I need to redesign it. But two years is about the right time because two years is about the right time frame where you go and rewrite things. And, you know, I saw this at, at the startup I was at before and I've seen it even here. You know, one of the things that I'm very proud of for us is, you know, if you look at Action IQ today, we're about around four, four or so years old. And indeed, some of the biggest systems that we have have been rewritten once and are now in their kind of second iteration of rewriting. And I'm incredibly proud of my team because both we recognize that that was the right thing. Like the fact that we're now four years in and this key system that is like the key delivery data system, pipeline, whatever, is now on its kind of third iteration was meant that it, it exactly served its purpose. It did, it, it did the right thing for two years and now the requirements have changed completely because there's a whole, like you were saying before, we're talking to new kinds of customers, there's new kinds of use cases, so forth. So now we, it's time to go and rebuild it. Um, and um, so that, that's kind of, I think, the other, the other big learning. And it takes also the right kind of team and the right kind of leadership to also not have that, the fear of that, right? Like, like I, I said, I'm incredibly proud of 
the fact that four years in, we're still taking on and, and we'll continue taking on these kind of big, big, massive projects, not just doing these like tiny incremental uh, improvements. Nice. I like that. I like the separation between the timeframes. So as we begin to wrap up, I'm curious to know, like, what specifically are you most excited about today? Like when you get out of bed in the morning and you're going to go in and do some great work, like what's on your mind? What project are you most excited about today? Mm. Yeah, so I'd say there's, there's two parts to that. So one is on, on the business side, because I do end up spending a lot of time there. Um, you know, it's, it's really fun to see how your product actually really changes the day in the life of somebody, right? Uh, it's really, really cool to see some of these businesses from large to small and, um, you know, along their journey of, of this, again, kind of digital transformation we talked about and, and being able to help them uh, along that. It's also really cool, and, and I enjoy a lot, you know, some of the interactions I've had with, with some of the uh, CTOs of larger companies and so forth. And it's really cool to see that, that everybody's figuring it out, meaning like, you know, whether you're a, a very, very large, you know, Fortune 500 company or whether you're a small retailer, everybody's uh, going through that change and figuring things out. And, and I'm having conversations with them like, okay, so should we be building out our own data science team or should we hire out for that? Or should we consult or should we bring in consultants and so forth? I think part of that is, is, is really fun and really cool. And, and it's really cool to see how technology can drive and technology and the right product and the right business solution can really drive change and, and improve these people, both, both from like, the day-to-day -day of, of the marketer's life, like like just the, the feedback we get of like, oh my God, I never, didn't even think this was possible. How do you guys do this? All the way to like the senior executive who is like, we got an action IQ, now our world's changed, right? So that, that is incredibly rewarding for sure. Um, from the technological aspect, um, you know, I've, I've always been a huge, huge uh, believer in team and, and people. Um, I spend a lot of, uh, I would say a lot of my own just kind of, personal mental effort to make sure we hire the right people. And, and because of that, we've ended up with a really, really phenomenal team. And so the thing that excites me from, from a technological perspective is, yeah, I mean, again, some of these bigger architectural projects we're taking on, just sitting in the room with the engineers that we have and, and talking it out and talking about the latest like trends of, of, you know, databases and distributed systems and how, and should we utilize this versus that and where should we be, doing our own innovation versus pulling in open source things and so forth. That is really, really fun. Yeah. It's like one thing to be in a room of experts. It's another mm -hmm. thing to be in a room of experts who all work for your company. Like, and that feels really, really good. <laughs> it does. And, and especially, you know, one of the things that I think I've been, uh, again, fortunate with is, and it takes a certain kind of personality is I really enjoy feeling like the dumbest person in the room. I really do. Like it's, it's the most rewarding thing to be in a room of like, there's nine people here who are better than me in some way, shape or form. And I have something to learn. Right. That's, that's the really rewarding part. The other part is, you know, I think you kind of touched on it in the beginning when we started talking is obviously startups and companies have their ups and downs and everything. And, and, you know, one day is crazy this way. One day, one day is crazy that way, no matter what, it's not boring. Like if there's one thing you can say is it's never boring. There's always something new. There's always a new hole to plug somewhere. There's always some new fire. There's always, like, there's always something fun and interesting going on. And I think as long as you have the right uh, perspective about it, um, that reminds me, by the way, 
Um, I tend to, my, my thoughts tend to jump around. A question you asked about kind of what would I uh, tell someone who's kind of a new lead or a new manager? Um, you know, the third thing is I think the related to the timelines is the perspective of, of thinking, meaning like the, the ability to think long term. You know, I think as you step into more and more leadership roles and, and eventually get to kind of executive and, and or, or directing multiple teams and so forth. The really, I think one of the biggest thing that changes is the time frame that you need to be thinking at versus your people need to be thinking at, right? So your, your team might be like executing on the particular project right now, and they have kind of the what's in their mind is, okay, I'm working on this particular feature, or um, you know, here's kind of our next three to six month roadmap or whatever it is, but you need to be thinking six to 12 months out or 12 to 24 months out, whatever it is. So I think a lot of that uh, tends to change and you tend to have kind of a different perspective of like how far out you should be thinking. Um, I think, I think uh, it's something good to be aware of. That's a good one. I like that. It reminds me of uh, Jeff Bezos. I mm -hmm. listened to a lot of his interviews and things of that nature. And he, he says, I'm always living 24 months in the future. He's like, whenever my team needs me to pull me into the present, I'm like, what's going on? Like, what fire? Like, why are you pulling me into the present? Because I'm living mm -hmm. a year or two in the future. And I was like, oh, there you go. Like, that made me really happy. Exactly, exactly. And that, yeah, I mean, he nailed it. That's, that's exactly right. Um, the other thing I'll say, actually, I, just, I was just reminded of this too, is, you know, there was a, there was a um, I think it was a Google guy that said this, and I, and I really liked it, was, you know, Google is obviously a fantastic company. I have, I have nothing but, but love for the company. I think, I think they really do some amazing things and they have some amazing people. And, and I absolutely love my time there. And I think one of, the, one of the cool things is, you know, you see all these achievements uh, that a company like Google does. And you think, man, they've, they're, or like an Elon Musk with, with SpaceX. And it's like, man, they're, they're, they're reaching the moon, right? They're, they're going to the moon or whatever. And the reality is nobody actually says, even Elon Musk, I don't believe, says, I'm going to go to the moon. And then they go to the moon tomorrow. That doesn't happen. Like the reality is you set a vision and a goal for where we want to go to the moon. But in order to do that, we're going to go to the next rooftop. And there's actually a famous paper about this uh, from one of the Google guys that said, make rooftop, rooftop or roof shots, sorry, make roof shots, not moon shots. And his whole thing was about how it was actually, it came from the hardware side. It came from the data center side of things where it was kind of analyzing how is Google's data center like so efficient, right? Like they've optimized like the airflow through the servers and like the wiring, every little tidbit. And so today their, their servers and AWS as well, right? Like these cloud providers are, are so far beyond what if you're thinking, uh, oh, I'm just going to go grab a couple of servers and do my own like data center co-location. They've reached so far beyond that. And why is it? Because they made all these like incremental small improvements that compound and add up greatly. And that's the, the other thing. It's actually a big theme that we have here at the company. We call it, there's a Japanese term for it called Kaizen. And Kaizen means essentially it's kind of the art of incremental improvement. And we're, we're big, big believers in that, you know, and, and actually this goes all the way back to where we started with kids. You know, I've even seen this with kids. Like the amazing thing is the thing that I've realized is I don't need to like teach my, my, my daughter astrophysics today. But if I teach her one plus one today and then tomorrow she comes and that's already something that she knows, then tomorrow you can teach her two plus one too. And then you can go to multiplication. And then you can, like it keeps building and it's, and it's, it's this amazing thing that, that you realize uh, the whole world actually functions that way. Companies function that way. People learn that way. Like everything builds on the previous. And so if you actually, you see kind of the far vision, but at the same time are able to break that down into incremental steps, 
that's how you actually get there. And from the outside, all the person sees like, like you know, a, a customer or somebody reading the news or whatever, all they see is two years from now, you reach the, the, the moon. That's amazing. How'd you do it? Clearly, you're a magician, right? And the reality is, no, it was just a lot of just grinding yes. and glass, but like getting there step by step by step. So, yeah. yeah it's difficult because good. our minds are wired linearly, but mm -hmm. things compound and progress uh, exponentially. So like when we imagine work right like when we imagine where we want to go and, and the work it's how do i how do i say this I, i've never described it against work before but we just think like our natural like when you ask a normal person to imagine where we're going to be in five years they go back to where we were five years ago mm -hmm. and they analyze where the progress we made in the past five years and they just push that forward Right, they draw linear as opposed to exponential. Yeah, right. But that's yeah. not what happens. So like in the next no. five years, it's going to go way fast. Like I always like to bring back, and I'm like a broken record with this. We, had, we got electricity like 110 years ago. Mm -hmm. And there's people that are 110 years old on this planet. Mm -hmm. And look what we have today. Right. No, it's, it's insane. <laughs> like that's insane. It and so it it's like when people start talking about, oh, we're not going to have general AI for 100 years. I'm like, probably like 25 probably right. like 25 30 years we'll have it because we are just going so fast so mm -hmm. i mean 50 oh, years ago, computers the other, full room. <laughs> yeah no absolutely i i agree with you uh, the other thing that actually i was reminded is um you know more and more as i've led teams led companies so forth so on and so forth you really realize how much a technology endeavor is really more a people endeavor than a technology one, meaning like it's so much about the people that you work with um, day in, day out. And, and so much of like your success is really about the people than about the particular project and whether you had the particular right, like patent or like technological innovation. And to get that formula right, I think you really have to treat people right. You know, we have, we have a, uh, a saying here that I, the way I like to summarize kind of the action IQ culture is we treat people like adults. And, and it sounds kind of simple and stupid, right? It's like, well, of course you treat people like adults. Everybody's an adult. But the reality is few people, I think, few companies, few teams, I think actually treat people like an adult. Because when you treat people like an adult, what it means is you assume that, for example, they can take good news as just as well as bad news. Right? So you're able to be very transparent and open with them. They're not just going to kind of, you know, go, go cry in the corner or kind of, you know, uh, put their tail in between their legs and run away or, or whatever, right? So, so you're able to be very transparent. At the same time, you're able to give an, an adult to somebody who's able to take a lot of accountability and be very upfront and candid about things. And at the same time, because of that, they're able to take on a lot of responsibility. So you're able to delegate a lot and they're able to really own a lot of things. You know, so it's kind of when you're in that mentality, it really like steers you away from micromanagement and babying people and all that. And it really kind of pushes you to, to, uh, to treat everybody in that mindset. And then even the amazing thing about it is that even the people who are not necessarily fully there yet, it pushes them to be like that. And it creates this culture of like, no, actually, you know, whether it's a good day or a bad day, we talk about it just the same and we analyze it just the same. And we're, and we're not we're not shy about um, you know being very very transparent um, about everything going on with the company, and I think people have appreciated it. You know, we've had very very we have an all hands a weekly all hands, 
and we're very open at, at all hands. Like we have basically an open Q and A with with myself and the, my co-founder, and we talk about everything from, you know, whether it be the deal that we won or lost, or funding or whatever it is, and anything. Um, I think that that creates a great a great culture and a great place that people really enjoy because they feel like they're really part of the team. Now, are most of most of your team is on site in New York? A uh, large portion, yeah, yeah. So we have sales kind of throughout. We have a few uh, sales all over um, North America, uh, but the the vast majority of like the technical team, yes, and the the customer team, the engagement team, the the accounting account management um, is also here as well. Excellent. Well, the next time I'm in New York, I'll let you know and I'll stop by and say hello. Absolutely, always welcome. Happy to have you over. All right, you have a great day, and I'll let you know next time I'm in New York. Sounds great. I talk too. soon. All right. Bye. Take care. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to help, please take a moment right now to open up the iTunes app and leave a review of the podcast. If you take a screenshot of the review and text it or email it to a friend who needs to listen to the podcast and then CC me, joel at moderncto.io. If you CC me on the email, I'll send you a copy of the Modern CTO book or give you a shout out on the podcast, whichever you prefer. We're trying to get listed on the top 100 for iTunes, and I need your help in order to do this.